Do a refresh after you do it. Hot on the mic. Hot on the mic. Hot on the mic. See, it's clear now. No, Kirk, there actually is an ointment for that. You should be okay. <laughs> well, you should ask my wife. It's it really does hurt. Uh, bump, bump. There we go. This auto lock thing on my phone is is not cool. I don't like it. You can change it. I know. Sorry, but it's... it's all right. It looks all right. Huh. We're on the mic. All right. We haven't gotten a comment of, hey, do you idiots know you're on, on the screen? One viewer. Hey, viewer. No, we got 15 people over on LinkedIn. All right. Julie, why don't you just run the uh, run the uh, the opener? Run the intro. Let's do run this. the intro. Going early. Refreshed. So. Bum, bum, bum. <laughs> Thanks for the intro, Chuck. What's going on, Digital Wildcatters? John Mink said, hey, you idiots, you know you're on. Thanks, John, for uh, giving us the uh, obligatory. That would be Mr. Idiot to you. <laughs> Just <laughs> Mr. <laughs> so, got a packed show. We got Mark Myers in the house. We got Kurt Coburn. We got Chuck Yates. Got What's the, up? We got the, the crew. Uh, Chuck, you look like you went down on the bling this uh, today. He didn't change his shirt. Tiding. We also had to go up on the camera because supposedly last week it said, I'm the guy of fucking. Yeah, and it didn't cut catch, off sunshine. Didn't catch we got sunshine. sunshine. <laughs> I got the bling on. All right, let's do this. Number one, the DOE this morning. First time since Hiroshima. Uh, they created a net energy grain through fusion, i.e., you know, we slammed two atoms together. The energy it took to create that set off more energy. This is like the panacea, clean energy. This is the holy grail. Yeah. What say you, Colin? Well, I want to hear uh, Kirk's take on this because there's a lot of, let's call it back and forth around fusion energy. Some say that this is just cap for the guys at this table means it's bullshit. Um, <laughs> some people think that this is a big breakthrough. What do you guys think? I mean, do we think that this is real? Is it hype? You got to realize that my first thought of fusion comes from the movie, the saint. Remember this movie? Uh, Val Roger Kilmer. Moore. No, Val Kilmer. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. Roger we're... Moore. It originally. Oh, oh my gosh. We keep going. Dating, we, we, dating. We, we, we I'm trying to be a little bit more relevant. Oh, Mark, don't act like you don't know, Roger. <laughs> where, where anything like fusion, if it existed, it's like everyone wants to kill you and it's too secret. So when I'm investing into these fusion ideas, people call me like, you know, when I was at Shell and even privately, like, 
I've got this deal, but it's so hush hush. I'm like, what's the category? Like fusion energy, but just on the download, don't tell anybody. <laughs> I'm at a page. And I'm like, holy shit. I'm like, I don't know. Is it legit? I think it's technically there's some barriers that need to be overcome. And I've seen pitches. I don't think they figured out the technology barriers yet. Yeah. But I love the category because it brings a lot of secrecy and soon to be a lot of suicides happening because it's so amazing that if they figured it out, your life's in, in danger. I was raising capital for digital wildcatters in our seed round and I was pitching this angel investment group and there was three companies. So it was me and two other companies and the company before me, mind you, this is a small angel group, like collectively they invest like $100,000 max, maybe two hundred. And this guy before me is pitching a fusion energy project. I'm like, Doug, you're trying to raise 200 grand. Like you need to raise 200 million. What are you doing here? So it's pretty sounded good. It sounded convincing. We, we, we've only been working on it since the fifties, right? In a laboratory. So but yeah, but I mean, look, technology it's, builds upon decades and decades right. of understanding. I mean, that's why there's some pretty cool things in hydrogen right now, because we've been working on true. hydrogen for the this last 40 true. or 50 years. So um, look, I think, I'm not an expert in nuclear energy, but I do think that we will figure out fusion. I think that, I don't know if that's in 10 years, 20 years or a hundred years. I do think at some point we figure it out. Um, and think about the implications and second order effects of having unlimited energy solves a lot of problems. But to your point, yeah. it's like, you know, people think it's all secretive and that you can get killed because what happens when you completely, negate renewables and oil and gas hmm. i mean you could have collapse of society theoretically right so i don't know i watched this documentary a while back with this guy that's pretty convincing on we're talking about aliens and uh <laughs> let's go right into it yeah. that's a pivot i mean that's right next to hey, it julie can you rewind the tape fusion to aliens talking about aliens but go ahead go no, ahead God. we all know they're real we were Listen talking this. About this documentary sure. is from 2018 and i watched this at the beginning of covid and this guy's talking about couple different things he's talking about aliens and he starts talking about how the government's going to start rolling out all these false flags on alien sightings guess what right after i watch this is when the pentagon and everyone starts rolling out footage of the special commission uh, and yeah the aliens yeah. as a cliche shit this guy is right wait till elon releases the area 51 files yeah, it's it gonna was, just <laughs> gonna be crazy one tweet at a time <laughs> <laughs> but this guy was talking about how um, that we've already discovered technology for infinite energy. And if you believe in aliens, which I do, um, I think that it's mathematical impossibility that, or probability that you don't have aliens. I mean, they've discovered some energy source where they can travel all around the universe, right? So you got to think that somewhere in the timeline of human uh, civilization that we figure out unlimited ener energy is a fusion. I don't know. So my take on this is you have a Republican House that has a big budget cutting, you know, what they feel is mandate. And this is a struggling government lab that needs to make an announcement to justify their funding. So I did hear that. On you know, you know yeah, and I've so, heard that on Twitter. Yeah, that, that, that to me seems because... I think devil's in the details. Mark and I were talking about this morning. You can probably talk more about it, but you know, saying it was a net energy gain was kind of a stretch of manipulating data. I think that being said, I will say at the end of the day, if we're going to solve all these issues, 
we need more shots on goal. So yeah. as big a libertarian as I am, if the government's going to spend the money, at least throw it in the lab and let scientists geek out. With you know, it. So I'd probably I probably lean. I probably lean towards thinking that that's the correct theory. I mean, that's how science has always been. I mean, you look at like you go back to like Galileo. You know, he discovers a constellation. Galileo's poor, didn't have any money. Goes to a king, says, "Hey." convinces this king that this constellation the stars were put in by gods and that you know named it after him and then the king puts them on payroll and starts funding them right and so i mean science has been like this for a long time where you manipulate things to get government funding and so i mean i could i could see that being plausible i think any any of these really hard tech science deals Contrary to what I believed when I went in in like 2010, starting investing in the space, those that actually rely on government funding tend to go further because you need capital that's non-dilutive. And in like the, when I think of the three fusion companies that I was the most impressed with, there's, <clears throat> there's one in the UK, there's one at MIT, there's one out of Silicon Valley. They're all <clears throat> leaning on laboratories and research and universities to get further because there are some serious hard science issues that have not been necessarily figured out. And some of it yeah. is, is engineering, but I think some of it is still like scientific. I mean, the front end is generational, right? That's what they talked about this particular moment with the ignition that was achieved for the first time with the, with the lasers. But you think about where this all started right after, right after the Manhattan project, essentially in world war two. Yeah. Um, it, it's got to have, <clears throat> it's got to have some staying power. Uh, because those those scientific breakthroughs just that it's a little bit different than writing new code. Yeah, right, hundred no, yeah. percent. Speaking of Val Kilmer, like he was in the Saint, but what was the great movie that was a Real playoff? Genius. Real genius. <laughs> See, we're talking laser it's beams. Val Kilmer. Day. Is Val Kilmer? Maybe Val Kilmer is the the epicenter of fusion. Yeah. I know he can't speak anymore. Maybe that's why I can't talk. I, they, they got, they got, they see, got Dude, just here. like what happened with Fink, what <laughs> happened with Larry Fink on the last BD show? Yeah. So if you tuned in last week, we talked this is about, huge. we talked about Larry Fink and Black, Black Rock's role in part in driving the energy transition, uh, narrative and divestment out of oil and gas three days after BDE started getting some, uh, pressure from one of Black Rock's LPs. Uh, for Larry Fink's resignation. I don't think that that's coincidence. Like we just talked about BlackRock, I mean, just randomly on the show. And then three days later, they're pushing for- I know the producer has given us some numbers where, I mean, the distribution on the show is crazy post. I mean, it's a long tail, <laughs> but it clearly works its way through the halls of, of power. So this, re this reminds me of a little joke. There's this elephant. And the elephant steps on something, gets a thorn in its foot, uh, is in such pain, can't do anything. A mouse comes along and says, you want me to help you? Pulls out the thorn and the elephant is like, oh my gosh, that's so great. I, I, can I do anything for you? Let me do a favor for you. And the mouse goes, yeah, I'd like to make love to you. And the elephant's <laughs> like, okay. <laughs> the elephant's, hold on, stick with me. The elephant, wow. The elephant's like, okay. So the mouse climbs up on the back of the elephant, starts going to town. <laughs> a coconut Wait, what was falls, the noise? A coconut falls uh, out of uh. the tree, hits the elephant on the head, and the elephant goes, ouch! And the mouse says, yeah, take it all, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> I don't mean to burst your bubble, but I'm not sure BlackRock 
called for BlackRock firing. Yes, anything to do with. Remember uh, when the show used to have integrity (laughs) and respect? Integrity. I think there should be respect. Someone just tuned into our live stream of BDE to hear Chuck talking about a mouse and an elephant. (laughs) I thought it was a a rather self-deprecating, appropriate analogy. I thought it was funny. Can you can you prove Larry Fink has not gotten pressure by shareholders because of our show? Can you well, prove it? That, that's fair enough. This is like the JF. No, I want it to be true. But... I saw your JFK podcast. Oh, I mean, this true. is another one of those. That's we, true. We, you need to investigate this. Yeah. That that is uh, Chuck. That is... Chuck <laughs> Yates needs a job. <laughs> this is a perfect category. All right, Chuck. Yeah. What right, do we got next on the, the list? Let's let's do this. Let's go to the oil markets. Let's start mm. talking demand. We got two big things going on that I'll throw out. One, it appears. After the revolution in China, maybe the uh, the people of China heard us talking about it on BDE and they revolted and, and all. But you do seem to have COVID easing. Uh, the Chinese government's come out and said they're going to stop tracking certain movements. They're easing quarantine. Interestingly enough, they are leaving the pandemic app in place on everybody's phones. So you've got China COVID easing. And then the other thing that's interesting is uh, United Airlines ordered a hundred of the 787s, the Dreamliners, yeah. largest airplane order in history to demand things. What do we think? How many did they order? A hundred with an option to buy another hundred. Where's the cash coming from to do that? Stock was down 1%. Exactly. From United. Boeing was up. I mean, some, my, of, some of it's to replace a pretty old wide body fleet with right. new tech, but I don't know how much of that is kind of incremental capacity additions to longer haul routes. Look, let's be, I mean, I've been tracking China since the nineties. What a lot of the information that comes out of China, we just don't know what's true and what's not true. So if that's the PR that they're releasing, I mean, I still am questioning, is it real or is it Memorax? Don't know. No one understands that was anyone born after 2000 doesn't know what Memorax is, but um, China to me is a question mark. I don't believe it for a minute. Um, I think they're great at trying to um, manage a narrative. So we'll see. I'll still say this about China. They're a horrific authoritarian government. I mean, I don't want to say anything, but. But there is do, a but. They do feel like they have been more responsive to the population over since Tiananmen Square, kind of in my lifetime than before. And you got really close a couple of weeks ago to the guy with the gun sitting there not shooting the population. And that's when a dictatorship fails, is when the soldier on the ground will not pull the trigger. And so, you know, is this backing off, driven by the populace? There's only so much they can take. I think kind of so. The one, one great thing about authoritarianism is that there is a vanguard of the proletariat. There is a ruling class. And in today's age with social media, if you're the ruling class and you want to stay in power and continue to be rich and do whatever you want, you have to make some concessions, of course. I mean, so I'm like, is this, is this great? I mean, I'm just, it's sort of a, well, hey, it's great to be the vanguard. And the vanguard has to do what they think. To, to remain in power. Yeah, That's just there. the way it's always I is. I just don't understand the incentive 
you know, what would be the incentive of zero COVID and keeping people locked down? I know it's easy to say, oh, they want to control people, but like, why? Like, what's the incentive to do that? Has anyone thought about that? So this was interesting. So when I had uh, Jeremy Arndt and Ryan Gurney from Montrose Lane on the podcast, when we were doing our mic checks, we were talking about that exact thing. So there's kind of three minutes of us talking China at the start of that podcast, just because I kind of found it interesting. Jeremy was, it's just about control. So that's why we're going to have it. I just uh, think that's like too, like, that's too I'm generic. Gonna, well, hang on one second, because Sarah, my uh, 17-year-old daughter, her take is China did COVID probably accidentally, but they let it slip out of a lab, whether they created it or not, who knows. <clears throat> and the defense is, see how serious we're taking. We didn't actually do this. If they're blowing it off, maybe there's more criticism of them and all that. But Mark has the best theory on it. <laughs> the, the dictator's paranoia of anything that could take them down. And so all these restrictions on mobility and, you know, it reduces my, you know, supreme being's uh, risk of getting COVID. I, I heard that some time ago and I thought, well, that's pretty interesting. And we were surmising what it would be if you got an audience with Putin, what, what would you see trying to get to him or in your process of getting to Putin's? So there's all these things that are surrounding all of these dictators in these authoritarian regimes with multiple layers of production. You just don't know how far the paranoia can go in terms of protecting their, their own personal safety and well-being. Cause, well, cause how old is he? I mean, he's, he's, none of those guys are young, right? I mean, he's in the elder age of, he gets it, he might die. I think Russia's economy is the size of Oklahoma, so I, I don't give them a lot of credibility, but um, even though they're dangerous. <laughs> let's go to China. I, I, it's something my wife taught me. I think China is playing hard to get. And, and for those of us guys, speaking of the elephant and the mouse and the coconut, when a girl plays hard to get at a bar, what do all the guys want to do? It, it drives them crazy. Yeah. I think China is... is Going back to America, primarily its biggest customers, the apples of the world, saying, hey, you need me. And if we're locked down, you're going to suffer too. And what did China, I mean, and what did, we're seeing this play out. What did, what did Apple do? They've flown over there and said, what can we do to make, to, to make this better? So I, while Apple's trying to find other resources of manufacturing, I think in some ways China is saying, Okay, need us. the world needs us. We're showing you that. And that's my belief. I think it's very clear <laughs> in, in my mind. But but let, let's debate that. And I think it's uh, there's some good did, theories. Speaking of that, did you see that Apple is opening up a, I don't know if they're opening up or partnering up with a new chip manufacturing plant in Phoenix. And so you're starting to see onshoring, trying to mitigate some of that, some of that risk. And I'm looking here. I don't know if you all know any numbers off the top of your head. Mark, maybe... You do. I'm trying to look for what oil demand is in China and just what what the trend is. I'm getting a bunch of articles from. Like so, so I've read uh, Josh Young's been tweeting out a lot of this stuff. So I may have this wrong, and Josh can pipe up if I do. But I want to say that oil demand over the last three months, China's down thirty ish percent, forty ish percent. So that's translating into what, like a million and a half barrels a day? Is that about right? something like that so yeah i literally have no numbers so harsh nodding sounds right harsh nodding or more <laughs> <laughs> yeah 
When in uh, doubt, make it up, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, well, I think to the larger point, there's another element of this. I don't know if you want to talk about your take on she and, and she's meeting with the Saudis and how this all intersects all of this. Let's talk about it. What happened? What well, was the meeting? The, the, the visit to the kingdom, right? And so on the heels of Biden and his meeting, what, you know, kind of what, what, what's the, what's the end game here diplomatically or politically with, you know, are they signaling something that, you know, they're concerned about um, reopening and security of supply, which I think is incredibly bullish. I, I don't know. All I know is that this has to be like one of the oddest times for oil prices, in my opinion, because we're at $75 oil, which, you know, adjust it for inflation. That's like $50 oil a couple, couple of years ago. Right. So, I mean, it's a pretty low price environment, but you look at everything, you know, if Chinese oil demand is down 30% and it looks like they may be opening up and demand's going up and, you know, I've seen multiple tweets this week from American producers saying that they're taking new drills off of their schedule because cost of supplies is just going through the roof. You know, people were drilling wells for $6 million last year, same exact wells going into 2023. The AFEs are $7 million plus. So you, it's easy to see the writing on the wall that production from United States is dropping off. United States isn't going to come save the day. So how's oil prices just staying at and OPEC's continuing to produce, right? I mean, so we see supply that's that's pretty consistent or constant. Yeah. And I do think while people are saying there's this massive recession, which I do believe is happening, it's my belief, but I think you see, you know, like China, for example, once they start opening up, it's going to almost combat that in some yeah. ways. That's what I, I'm very curious if oil rips in 2023 and it's just hard to imagine it's staying under it, it's, bucks, it's just but. fundamentally hard to imagine that there's a anything but a physically tight structural market just given the magnitude of underinvestment you know most absolutely mo most of the world's production base including the Saudis is multiple decades old and so there's been you know there, there's been underinvestment over a protracted period to the tune of you know, several hundred billion dollars a year, depending on what baseline you look at. So it doesn't replace itself. And and I don't think we're at, at any point globally where outside of a recession and these, these events seem long and protracted when you're in the middle of them. But when you go back and look at a long dated history of, of oil demand over the last 30 to 50 years, it's there, the, the, those are blips. So, you know, the absolute challenge of supplying over a hundred million barrels a day structurally is is growing with you know the longer we you know don't add to the actual growth and, and maintenance capital uh, from this reduced level and some of the anecdotes that you're hearing and i'm picking up a few as well is it seems as tight in the supply chain as it's ever been my so, anecdotes is that renewables replace oil what happened to that <laughs> <laughs> you know this is this was wild i think it was last thursday because yeah, I was on my deathbed Friday, coughing and wow, coughing. Welcome fever. back. Yeah, thank you. The jury was out there for a while on was Friday. It COVID or the flu? I I don't know. I didn't get. Wait, tested when's either. the party? That's all I yeah, care. Yeah, December twenty third. All right, Christmas Eve Eve. I'm gonna. But I had, no, I had lunch with oil field guy, and uh, we were talking about it. 
things he used to pay $200 for, he's paying $7,000 for. And, mm. you know, he was talking about a well that costs $3 million, now t- costing six. But an even bigger problem that I didn't appreciate is, you know, out in the oil field, if somebody didn't show up on time, everything grinds to a halt and you're paying day rates on everything, yeah. right? Yeah. He says that's happening more and more. And you used yeah. to be able to replace Why aren't people, people showing up. That's a good question. I'd kind like of to know more about yeah, that. Supply because, I mean, people, supply chain just constraints. Just stacked up with jobs. They're it, so busy it, that they can't service all so the jobs. Just so too much demand. Yeah. Announce budget announcements, which are ironically made deep into February into March for the coming year. So you're two thirds of the way through the first quarter, I think are going to be, you know, telling of the, you know, what, what's the direction most of the spending capital spending increase pressure based on what we've just been talking about appears to be motivated by inflation. How much are you going to tolerate? You, you, you just mentioned they're taking new drills off, uh, off the schedule. So it'll be really interesting to watch to see how much of that with, you know, crude's correction here going into to budget setting, what's the signal to the investment community in terms of how aggressively we want to spend. Some of it, we just, you know, we just can't mount a higher level of activity. And who, who was it? Was it Conoco that came out with the press release? They're increasing spending and Mr. President to support it all. And some snarky people on Twitter were like, hey, that's just flat out inflation. Right. It doesn't yeah. mean you're drilling anymore. I'm going to bring up this chart real quick on the screen. Uh, y'all can't see it, but this was uh, a chart of break-even analysis uh, by Basin in the United States, which shows the DJ Basin uh, being the cheapest basin to operate in. Uh, well, you know why that is, Colin, don't you? What's the that? DJ doesn't have to hire a band. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Sorry, I love that. This joke. chart kind of bugs me a little bit because it's actually backwards. Um, like the first bar is December 22, and then it works backwards to 21. Um, so you can see from 2021, cost, break even cost has just gone up by basin. And so that's probably not even true break even uh, cost analysis. You know, I've heard pretty much the last yeah, four no, years. No, that, no one's drilling. 10% theoretical break even at the at the well level. Yeah. So I mean you if, can't, if they if they are they didn't get the memo. Well, yeah, I know. And at the end of the day, it's if you're trading at three times EBITDA, you got to at least be drilling at 35. That's the other thing. 40% I mean, who, yeah, who, turn well. Who who wants to grow into that type of compressed valuation? Do you want to sell more cash flow at at three times? Yeah. Incentives not there. Yeah, there, there's a there's an interesting and ongoing political overlay, but uh, this is fundamentally about you know what what the response is to investors in the sector and what you know what they want. I, I'm seeing more of a shift now. Let's shift from dividend increases to to buybacks. Yeah, I'm not. I haven't spent a lot of time thinking about that, but remember, not too long ago, it was there were several fairly poorly timed by um, yeah. right before the um, the COVID collapse about a year before that. So yeah. what kind of multiples did you see on EMPs like peak shell? Um, I mean, were these trading at five X? It, it depends on where you are. And and you saw a pretty quick normalization or recalibration when the Permian started showing a little bit of wear and tear and you had things like not picking on Concho the Dominator pad 
And so there was a real, um, I think the highest, highest I saw was kind of mid teens, EBITDA multiples. Damn. That's crazy. And, and then wow. the multi, you know, the gassier and the, and, and the basin diversified were trading in the, you know, mid to upper mid single digits. So there was a big spread between Permian pure play at that time. And this was back in, that all started to come back in and in, in mid to late 2019. Yeah, as I say, I mean, I mean the way to almost think about it during the shale revolution mm -hmm. is it wasn't really even EBITDA multiples; it was dollar per acre, right? Mm -hmm. You know, you know, and and in effect, one well de-risking acreage mean you no longer trade at twenty thousand dollars per acre; you trade at thirty thousand dollars per acre. Yeah, I mean, it got it got that level of kind of internet frenzy bubble like. Yeah, um, back in say, the day, I mean, that's you know tech like multiples getting that but back then i was in the oil field so i wasn't really paying attention to the stocks themselves like I yeah did. we looked at that pretty closely and you know having spent more time around non-pure plays it was pretty interesting in terms of how thinking back you know before there was such a thing as a permian pure play there were companies in the sector that were diversifying into or vertically integrating into things like drilling completion yeah which always typically resulted in a discount to a kind of a pure ENP multiple. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. So until the market really decides that they want to own these stocks, I mean, there's just no incentive to spend a ton you know, we're, of money we're, we're, chewing we're kind through of, your acreage. Kind of back sub 5%, I think 4.6% waiting is what I saw. Um, you know, a lot of, a lot of enthusiasm for getting back to the heyday multiples, but um, I think we've got a lot of, complex headwinds to deal with at the moment. I mean, so Brad Olson said this and Brad, I hope I'm right about this. If not, you can, I will correct it next week on BDE or something, but I want to say Brad said that night we did the podcast at fuse that despite energy being the top performing asset category this year, there were still net outflows of capital into the space. Mm you know, despite being the best performer. Yeah. So, which yeah, is just crazy. That is pretty, maybe weird. to shore up drawdowns elsewhere. Yeah. Right. Maybe so. Yeah. yeah. So that'll, I, uh, it's funny how you look like a lot of these things are investor led, right. And where capital's flowing to. And I just can't imagine if I'm sitting in EMP seat, I can't imagine, Hey, I'm going to drill more wells and grow production. True. Chew, chew through my, good rock for $75 oil when costs are skyrocketing. Like, why would I do that? And if I can just produce my, uh, you know, just kind of blow down my PDP. And then when commodity prices come up, well, that's I was talking to, uh, this was about six months ago. I was talking to a CFO of one of the big boys and we were just shooting the bull and I'm like, how's it going? And he goes, great. I send out a dividend and nobody bitches at me. He said, that's a lot easier to run those freaking rigs. So I was like, one, one, yeah. other, one other marker, I think to look for it, it was out a couple of weeks ago in a news story. I forget it, if it was Reuters. Um, there was an, uh, a story that NCAP is contemplating its first new oil and gas fund in five years. That would make it fund 12. Um, no, no, no speculation as to size, but you know, that, that certainly plays in the universe of big endowment in institutional LP world where <clears throat> what we've been talking about is the reluctance or the, the 
reticence to invest in traditional energy was driven by things outside of, you know, the pure, uh, the pure economic motivation for, for owning the sector. So it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out if it does, if it does come to market and how many more. So, so important thing to say here, we have all talked for years about peak shale being the, the YDC roast of Chuck Yates when I got the tattoo on my butt. I'm going to say to my dear friends at NCAP, and I actually like those guys a whole lot, their fund 11 was peak shale. I mean, it was $7 billion. Jeez. I mean, that was a massive, massive. But, you know, uh, you know, to your point, Mark, what we've seen this year is Carnelian went out to raise fund three, and, and they've crushed it. I mean, I think if you look at their IRRs returns, they're number one um, out there, and I think they're like number one by a, by a good amount. They went out to raise the fund and Putin invaded uh, Ukraine. So they hit their hard cap uh, kind of right off the bat. Uh, Pearl's out there. Billy Quinn will get his fundraise, hit a hard cap. Don't know that, but he'll, he'll get a fundraise. Quantum, I don't know exactly where they are. They kind of started, stopped, started, and stopped, but I think they're out fundraising. So, you know, with Carnelian and Pearl, you were able to talk the small niche boutique type funds raising. And we've always kind of said there will be a spot for that. NCAP, I think, is in quantum are really your test of just the big beta theory. You know, do we want energy or not? And, so. and I, I think with the, um, uh, there's been an increasing volume of commentary on just degradation in the quality of the Permian in particular. Uh, things are maturing. You've got less core in tier one and that's just part of the natural cycle. And so I don't think anybody that I've talked to disagrees that we don't need another pretty significant round of consolidation, which would include, you know, replenishing inventory through good partially developed private assets. So, you know, playing at least one more round of the, uh, acquire scope out develop and flip game yeah it's going to take i think it's going to take a longer horizon attitude i, I just think it's going to be interesting to see you know the lps that do sign up for that um, yeah because we're we're making a multi-year bet here in the face of things that have been um causing some reticence to to invest in traditional oil and gas among many others like ESG, et cetera. Yeah. I'd actually love to see what the thesis is for in-caps raise, quantum raise, because they're the, the the bigger beta type firms. Because if I'm sitting there and you made me go raise a fund today, my pitch would be everything's trading at three times EBITDA. There's no incentive to drill. That means one of two things. Either multiples have to double over the next three years to excite users to drill more or we're hosed, or oil goes to 250. I don't think you can have both of them. No. You know, there's there's a tension there. And I think the only thing that really takes that off the table is massive recession. And, you know, what can you say if massive recession hits, massive recession hits? Yeah. So ending out the show, Chuck, who do we have for finger of the week? Let's do it.
All right. Finger of the week goes to heart disease because it took another of my heroes, Mike Leach, the pirate, Texas Tech, uh, former Texas Tech coach, uh, has passed away this morning from a massive heart attack that he suffered a few days ago. Yeah, really sad. Mike Leach was, uh, you know, he's a fan favorite, whether it's at Texas Tech or any other school that uh, he coached at. We were talking about him this morning and like all of his antics and uh, interests. Yeah. And- you go on Twitter and search Mike Leach, and there's like all these. This well, he never he, he never played college football, rugby. Uh, what rugby at BYU? Played rugby at BYU. Yep. Fascinated by 18th century pirates, so always talking about Blackbeard and Calico Jack. Uh, it kind of really came to light. People at Texas Tech knew all about the pirate and stuff, but remember Friday Night Lights? Yeah, he was in. I think it was season four, where uh, the coach was walking by, and he was just some random guy in the parking lot. So like. Swing your sword. You know, <laughs> got a cameo and, on there. And all, all that. But, you know, just, I mean, he's kind of who I'd like to be. One, he never hesitated speaking his mind. Yeah. Two, he was just intellectually curious. I mean, he was an, a world-renowned expert in Native America, grizzly bears, Daniel Boone, chimpanzees, whales, and Jason Pollock art. I mean, <laughs> a lot of random stuff. he taught when he was at Washington state, he taught a class called a seminar called insurgent warfare and football strategies. <laughs> Amazing. I mean, and and the last yeah. thing I'll say, uh, and I could talk Mike Leach all day cause I was a big fan, but don't underappreciate the coaching tree. All of these guys were players or assistants for Mike Leach, Art Ryle, Sonny Dykes, who yeah. with TCU is playing in the Dana Holgerson, uh, the U of H coach, Lincoln Riley, Cliff Klingsbury, Josh Huppel. I mean, oh, yeah. dude, dude's a generated yeah. a lot of really good head coaches. And I read in, in one announcement this morning that his last ultimate act was that he was an organ donor as well. Yeah, oh, that's awesome. Yeah, it's consistent yeah. with who he was. Yeah. So yeah. everybody cut back on a fat walk. <laughs> yeah. You know. Yeah. Um, my favorite Mike Leach story, you know, growing up in, I was born in Lubbock. So I was always a Texas Tech fan uh, as a kid growing up, unfortunately. And um, <laughs> anyways, uh, when that one student got locked in the uh, closet for a concussion and I was just like, one you know that was just like some rich kid or some rich kid is like, my dad will sue you. And like Mike Leach, like it didn't even seem like uh, Mike Leach was who he was, right. you know, and like you know who that was. Yeah, <laughs> you know who that was, right? No, I don't know who it was. Um, I think the Pony Express at SMU predates you. Yeah, so Eric Dickerson and Craig James. That was Craig James's son. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> and, and Craig James at that point might have been the number one college analyst out there, right? I mean, him and I think he was on Street. CBS at that time, yeah. But, yeah. but yeah, no. So, anyway, it was very prominent person, son. You're yeah. right. And it's like, <laughs> you're going to talk back to me? Go get in the closet. Yeah. <laughs> Go get in the closet. So, yeah. Um, Rest in be, peace, yeah, Mike. Definitely Leach. be missed. Everyone, appreciate y'all tuning in uh, for today's show. We'll be back next week, as always, 10.30 a.m. Uh, Central Time on Tuesday. Appreciate y'all hanging out with us. Share the episode with a friend, if you don't mind.